This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. Okay, here we are. This is Mind Your Body. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I have a special guest because she's my friend and we have been peer supervisees for a while and have been, we have moved together in authentic movement too. So I'm really happy to bring on Winnie Wong, who is a board certified dance movement therapist living and working in Brooklyn, New York. She's currently working on a specialty pilot unit in inpatient psychiatry, working with adults with both intellectual and developmental disabilities and mental health diagnoses. This unit is the first of its kind in the tri-state area. And she also has experience with both on-site and off-site DMT clinical supervision. Welcome, Winnie. Hello. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. And the original reason why I asked you to come on is because, well, through the pandemic, we've been talking a lot about how you're still going into work, still going into the hospital, doing DMT in person with masks and all that um, through the pandemic. And I really wanted to get your perspective on you know, what, what that's been like for you, just kind of in general, like what, how, how that's impacted you and also how that's impacted the work. So um, maybe you can just kind of draw us a picture first of like the, how it feels, cause you're still doing it. So how it, how it felt when it first happened and how it feels right now to be working through this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, to say the least, obviously, it's been a challenge. Um, As you're talking, I'm having flashbacks to the very beginning. And even just as a person trying to figure out how do I live, um, even just getting up and going to work every day, I think um, my relationship with like inside versus outside had to kind of flip upside down almost. Um, And it was just even being conscientious, like I had to change my morning routine because as a New Yorker, I would like get up, get ready, throw on clothes, go out onto public transportation, then like put some makeup on on my way to work as a time saver and then get there and be ready. And the first day I walked out and like went to touch my face and I was like, nope, can't do that anymore. So it was like needing to reevaluate all the different processes. Um, And then at work, we, so the, the specialty unit that I was on, we actually had to shut down for a while because the hospital had overflow from the medical side. Um, so my unit actually changed to medical surgical or a med surge. So all of a sudden it was, sur- luckily me and my teammates stayed on the unit and we didn't have to move, but the whole unit shifted over and we had to like pack things up that were for the ID unit that weren't gonna be used for the med surge unit and served a totally different population. And then part of that time was because their need for like oxygen was different. They had finished constructing a different unit. And so for a while we were going like from the fifth floor to the second floor, up and down, up and down. 
Um, and it was really just looking at how do we still serve anyone, no matter what the population of the clientele and still just do what we do and, you know, try to provide the best service still. Um, and in the beginning, it was really like all of our higher administrative hospital folks scrambling to figure out like, okay, what are our policies for this? We've never been through this before. I imagine they had to like discuss and rewrite, like all of a sudden all these different policies and procedures were coming out that we had to implement. Um, at the height of the pandemic or when New York City was the epicenter, we had to, like all of our groups were limited to four group members per group. And luckily on the ID unit, we maybe only had like six to nine total census, but like all my colleagues were still dealing with like a full 27 bed unit and <laughs> trying to figure out like, how do we still provide group treatment with only four people to a group? Um, it was really interesting. And I think in a way on the ID unit, because it was, we were already dealing with a lot of social cues issues and teaching and like psychoeducational social cues. So it just kind of got built into that. But I can only imagine for my colleagues on the typical units, how difficult it probably was. And then dealing with everyone's mental health issues through something like pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, this pandemic is happening and all of a sudden you're not able to get the treatment or the group therapy that you need. Yeah, and I, you know, I wasn't really dealing with anyone with like paranoid schizophrenia as much anymore, but I imagine it's either like really challenging or really affirming because then the rest of the world is like washing hands all the time and like starting to have this hyper awareness of their environment and like contact mm -hmm. infection control all over the place. Um, yeah, I just, it, it was challenging. It, it, it was difficult. And then as a, as a clinician, like going in, I can either take public transportation or I will walk to and from work. So I have the other layer of being obviously Asian, Asian American. And I did have to think about like on my way to work, what is the perception and reaction and what was I gonna receive on my way to work? So something I started doing like Pre-COVID, I would have never worn my badge and work lanyard um, in public, but I started to like wear it on the outside of my outerwear just so that people, in the hopes that people would see me first, obviously as an Asian person, but then with my ID badge think, oh, she must be some kind of worker going to work. So mm -hmm. I think in the hopes of um, like people being like, let me leave her alone and let her go do her thing. Can you spell that um, for us a little bit more? Like, what were you afraid of people perceiving about you? Um, well, with the pandemic and, you know, I think I imagine a lot of people by now hearing a lot of like anti-Asian um, and Asian hate crimes going up. I definitely became hypervigilant and had to think about like, what would I encounter on the way to work? especially when it was warmer out, um, I was walking to work to and from a lot. So just thinking about like, A, being more careful, who, who am I running into? 
I did get like an increase of harassment. People would yell things at me on the street. So also just trying to like change the perception of who I am. Um, knowing that like, first and foremost, people would see like, oh, that's an Asian person. But then hoping that like, donning my lanyard and badge would also add that other layer and hope that people would be like, oh, she's also a hospital worker. So let me leave her alone and let her get to work. Um, yeah, I luckily did not ever encounter like increase of assaults, but certainly verbal harassment. Mm. Yeah. That's horrible that you went through that and that you had to fear for that, you know, and how much that the pandemic highlighted that for you. Cause yeah. it's not like this is, right. Is this the first time that you were afraid of racism, hate crime against you? Um, I think it was probably the first time I really had to like be much more conscientious about it and much walk in a much more hypervigilant place around it. And that's also my privilege. Um, I think it was also always like a duality thing of like, unfortunately, it's not the first time I've gotten that kind of treatment I have since a toddler. So in a sense, it was like, well, it's not like the treatment has really changed. People have yelled things to me my whole life. I think the thing that switched was like, the intensity, the motivation behind it, and like probably just the increase of the happening. Yeah. And then also just the reality of like walking through the city like this and receiving eye contact and not being able to know like what was behind the mask, what else was in the facial expression. So not really sure was I getting like just stares because of stares or stares because I'm an Asian person, you know, it was very confusing and really hard to tell like what I was receiving walking through the neighborhood. Hmm. Yeah. Did you feel that way in the hospital as well? And also I imagine that the patients probably had similar feelings about the mask and the eye contact and what's because I know when I worked in the psychiatric hospital it was like there was no masks at that time but there was always like oh well this person's looking at me and judging me and there's so much of that with the the group therapy and just the the unit environment yeah um I think as a staff person yes I mean to this day I still like will walk through the halls and smile at someone and I have to verbally say to someone like I smiled at you but I forgot that you can't see it under my mask um on the unit and in a way thankfully because for the ID unit you know there's already a level of maybe not being able to fully conceptualize what's going on or inherently not really being able to pick up on all the social cues. So it was almost like, and now currently um, our, my unit has re reopened as the ID unit. So I'm working with that population again. And it's almost like they don't really care. And it obviously depends on the person, but also there's also, I think just more questioning and more confusion and more, um, 
being able to really relate and pick up, pick up social cues. Um, I mean, for all of us, this, this is a, <laughs> this is not a lot of information. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so also figuring for me, figuring out like how to verbally express and say the things that I would have typically done through nonverbal communication. Um, and I realized it eliminated to me how much work I do with my facial expressions with clients and like reflecting back a smile or like, you know, a mood or a head nod and just all these nuances that are in our facial muscles that I, I couldn't, I was still mirror it, but like it wasn't seen. Um, and so learning for me how to verbalize something more than necessarily just do the nonverbal mirroring, which is hard because I think it, as a dance movement therapist, I also had to switch gears and right. figure out how else do I relate and like make connection with my clients. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like your, your movement repertoire shifted a little bit? Like, did you make your movements bigger or more like emphasize it in a different way to amplify that part of nonverbal communication? Um. I think my, my, I probably shifted my vocalizations and how I mirror in vocalizations, either speaking and or laughing. Um, and just in general needing to figure out. So <laughs> actually this is what I'm wearing now. Okay. And 95. So <laughs> you can hear the difference. Like, yeah, I really yeah. have to think about like how to project through this and trying to help people with breathing. <laughs> This is not an easy task to try to help people to access their breath and wow. certainly singing and vocalize, like, you know, trying to sing and vocalize through this <laughs> is quite a, quite a change. Um, yeah. Is there an element though, like of being able to be more expressive though, in a way? Cause now I don't know. There's some kind of protection sometimes I feel when I have my mask on. I'm like, no one can see me. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I think it's tricky because generally speaking with the ID unit, it's like what happens in the DMT work. It's so different than maybe a general typical mm -hmm. psych unit. So it's shifted already. Um, Yeah, maybe it's just built in and inherent in the work for me already being on a specialty unit um, of trying to find different ways to relate and make connection and um, do the mirroring work. So I think it's it's already a challenge and then you add on this other layer. Um, but also it's been kind of nice because going on to this unit, you know, people aren't may maybe fully conceptualized about what's going on in the outside world. And so it's almost like a reprieve mm. from pandemic life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, for you. For me, yeah. And really just needing to focus and be present with what's in front of me and in that clientele. And, you know, you, you can't not do that. Um, there's some speaking and like discussion around it. If the person maybe has questions or like we've, you know, I think we've all heard a lot coronavirus, the words coronavirus. Um, but I think the conceptualization of it is not as overt necessarily 
coherent in the way that you or I would understand it. So I think for me, it was, it was almost like a nice escape from the outside world of like going in and, you know, just needing to like meet these people. And it's so pure and joyous to like sing and dance with folks that um, I almost didn't have to think about, you know, the outside world for a little while. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Like it was almost a little bit of an, an escape or reprieve, I think was the word he used. Yeah. Mm. What about your relationship with the other people in the unit, like the staff? Did that shift at all? And I'm just thinking about how as dance therapists working in institutions were often misunderstood and undervalued. So I wonder if that was amplified more or did you come more together as staff? Um, I don't think there was a huge shift and certainly not as like a dance movement therapist. I think luckily this unit staff, we did have the experience of working together pre-pandemic. And so we already kind of knew each other and we're already, um, familiar with each other and all in this same boat of like trying to create this new unit and this specialty unit that's really never been done before. So I think when we opened, we already were kind of melded in a certain way and bonded in a certain way that other units may not happen. So I think that probably helped us once we reopened through pandemic and just tried to figure out how do we work in this. I think some of our like processes like morning report and staff meeting and things like that kind of had to shift a little bit. We figured out new ways to work. Um, and it's just become part of the culture now that like, I have to find space from you. <laughs> it's not a personal thing. It's just the culture we're in now with, you know, needing to physically distance. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. different. Well, that's what I was going to ask. That was my next question. Like kind of the typical question of the year is, do you think things are going to go back to normal? And what does that even mean anymore? Right. Um, I mean, I don't know what, what is normal anymore? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't even know what, um, what that means anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I think the whole rest of the world is probably experiencing this of like, we found some conveniences with like, you know, doing meetings online or like being able to do bigger meetings through WebEx or what have you um, and finding a new way to work. But will we ever go back to what we knew before? I don't know. Um, it's a good question. And I think it's probably a question on everyone's minds um, globally and trying to figure out what will this new normal be after, you know, things are okay again. Um, I think on the ID unit, it would probably flow back to something a little more like what we were doing before. Um, it's hard not to, I mean, you know, if you already have some social cues um, misconceptions or what have you, it, it would be difficult not to. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. What would you 
Like what kind of advice or tips would you give right now to other dance therapists who are still going into work and feeling, you know, overwhelmed or it's just difficult to adapt to still? Um, well, one, you know, I think it's the basis of our field is the creativity, like with the work, I think you just have to get creative, figure out different ways. I remember one time on the ID unit when we were trying to explain what six feet apart is, everyone was kind of grappling with that. <laughs> so I had um, some tools that I inherited were like those swimming noodles. <laughs> but I was like, wait, is this six feet? It's just shy of six feet. So I was able to bring it in one time to a community meeting and like show everyone and like have someone stand on the other end of it and be able to have people embody mm-hmm. what is six feet. Um, Cause I think especially in a condensed area like New York, people don't really spatially know really how far apart six feet really is. Um, so just finding new ways to like be in it. But I think more than ever, taking care of yourself. I know for me, I've had to really like tune into the little things like what I was already doing self-care techniques and strategies and um, building it into my everyday and throughout my work shifts. But I think even more now figuring out, okay, what are the little things I can do for myself to really take care of me and try to like keep energizing me also as a New Yorker, um, you know, and I, and I live in a small New York city apartment. So trying to figure out how to do things <laughs> still, um, without necessarily being able to go anywhere. And that's been hard. Um, but I think I've, I've sourced into little things like body care and self-care and grooming care strategies that I maybe never would have done before because I can't go get a massage or like go to the spa. Um, so trying to like at least mimic the feeling and bring it home and that like find the new rituals really help me. So finding the new ritual or like even just a little small thing at home um, to sort of bring those experiences into the home space as much as possible. Um, and still getting out, you know, still getting outside, going for a walk, moving the body. Um, yeah, I haven't, it's really interesting because a lot of my personal close friends are not in the field. So they are on, they are working from home. They're on Zoom online life all day, every day. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really interesting balance too, for me to figure out, oh, Okay. I, but I work Sunday through Thursday, Friday, Saturdays are my weekend. So by the time I'm physically available to possibly meet with some of my friends online, they are zoomed out, like they have zoom fatigue. So it really early on was also a, a consciousness that I had to build of like other people's bandwidth and finding new ways to connect without necessarily asking them to do yet another online meeting. Um, Cause by Friday, I think a lot of my friends who are not a DMT are just like, I can't, I can't do any more online meetings. Um, what did you do instead? We've done, so we've done letters. Like we went old school <laughs> and 
literally have been like mailing each other handwritten letters. Um, I've, I've done more voice memo messages to people back and forth. So at least we're hearing our, our voices. Um, if we are doing some kind of online meeting, like it's actually just sort of like scheduling something and just knowing like, okay, it doesn't have to be that long. Like we'll just, it's just a 10, 15 minute check-in just to say hi, just to see each other at least virtually. Um, yeah, I think it's challenging, especially for someone who is a mover and does want connection, like in-person connection. It's been challenging, yeah. I, that just made me remember, I don't remember when this was, maybe April or May, we did a like a little movement meetup on Zoom. Mm -hmm. That was so nice. I remember I was outside, it was warm out and I could almost pretend that we were moving together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, it's all the, um, the like vicarious experiences. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. someone's like, Oh, read that tree looks so good right now. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Just take that in. <laughs> yeah. That's my beach background. <laughs> Yeah, your beach background is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think, feel like there's anything else really important to share about this? Um, I do think to go easy on yourself, there's, you know, there is the, I think, daily work still of showing up, but then there's a, also a sense of like, there's a stamina and endurance to it. I mean, there always has been with this work. And I think, especially if you're going in, working inpatient, um, but even more so now. And I think just being really gentle for yourself and finding the little things, like it really, I think comes down to like simple pleasures and what are the little small baby steps you can do for yourself to try to refuel um, and try to, you know, hopefully you can find a space somewhere outside or like in your home space to still move. Um, but really finding the things to just kind of like keep trying to refuel yourself. You know, it's, it sounds so simple and it's like, that's what we do, hopefully anyways generally but it's even that much more important I think right now yeah. and I'm thinking of the parents who are home with their kids now too all the time and it's like yeah it makes it even harder yeah to um, find the space for the little things yes yeah I yes I I choose to be childless so I cannot on that, but <laughs> I, I, mean, I was just thinking because I was you know I was pregnant during the pandemic and then before well even while I was pregnant before I had Joshua I was like had my morning routine and uh -huh. I could wake up slowly and just indulge and uh -huh. now I can wake up to a crying baby <laughs> um, <laughs> but then and so then I was like but yeah there's like people have multiple children at home right now and like where do you fit in but it has to be it has to be little things between yeah and I, I think just giving yourself and everyone a break and I think as dance movement therapists we know this in the work of you know try to let go of well it's supposed to be um but applying that even more so and just knowing like 
trust in whatever it is, it's going to be um, what it needs to be. I think it, it's just extra intention and conscientiousness in that now. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Sure. Um, is there any way that you'd like the listeners to connect with you or do you want to just leave it here? Um, we can just leave it here. I, I'm not sure what you will have in your, um, in your like bio or posting of this. Yeah. Um, after. Yeah. Cool. I, I do have my work email. Maybe that's an option. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, thank you, Winnie. You're very welcome. That's really, really helpful. I think you're, I think this is going to be, I was like, I'm going to call this surviving as a dance therapist during the pandemic, <laughs> like, like a survival, like a survival guide or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's helpful. And to know that, you know, you're not alone and whoever else is still going into the institution feeling very impacted by being a dance therapist through this period of time. They're not alone either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of your, yeah, your vulnerable and open experiences. Thank you for asking and having me on. Thanks for thinking of me. Of course. Yeah.